Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Man at the Gate. Here you will learn how to apply your Christian ethics in the political arena. This includes our local and federal politics. Come, sit, relax, and enjoy our time together as we discuss the state of our nation and what it looks like to be salt and light in a pagan world. Welcome to Man at the Gate. I am your host, Carrie Appling, and this is Episode 3, Imminent Domain and Protectionism. Uh, once again, I want to thank everybody for all of your uh, input from Episode 2. I got some messages uh, uh, very well um, received from what I can tell. So I hope it continues to bless people, and if this podcast bless you, that you will share it with your uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and even with your uh, unbelieving friends, at least if they want an idea about what we believe. So a lot has happened this week, and what I wanted to start off with was that one of the largest issues in the American church, that much of what I am talking about in this podcast is not preached from the pulpit anymore because pastors have convinced their laymen, and laymen have raised up pastors who will now never speak of political ethics and merely want a pastor to be as ambiguous as humanly possible about the issues in our nation. Now, I want you to think about something. Before I, um, before I saw a lot of stuff that happened this week on Facebook, and what I'm talking about is early September. Uh, today's day is actually September the 6th. I wrote this long before the statement on social justice was released by uh, many prominent, mostly reformed pastors and elders. And I wrote this long, not long before, but about a week before that was released. So as you listen to this episode today, I want you to think about um, some of the stuff that has been said about people who, brothers and sisters in Christ, who believe that the gospel is uh, the gospel of the kingdom, that it has uh, kingdom random ramifications, that it is a uh, it is not a earthly when I, and when I say political, it is not a political kingdom like we see on earth, and I'll get into that. That Christ's kingdom is not of this earth that it operates in a completely different manner. But nonetheless, Christ's authority on earth has ramifications politically. It does. It's inescapable. And so what we're dealing with here is it, it is pastors who are raised up by their flocks specifically to ignore the issues that Christ demands we address in our nation. They raise up seminaries, they raise up pastors, they raise up systems of thought and doctrines of thought that allow them to excuse themselves from the responsibility that Christ lays at their feet to attack the enemies of Christ no matter where we find them, no matter what realm we find them in, whether they be in the home, whether they be in the self, whether they be in the, um, in the church, or whether they be in the state, it doesn't matter. There is no realm of thought or realm of action 
that is outside of Christ's sovereignty. Christ said, all authority on earth and in heaven has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make, and, uh, make disciples, teaching them what I have taught you to obey and observe. And so Matthew 28 is a direct, a direct command to, now keep in mind here, he doesn't say in Matthew 28 to disciple individuals. He says to disciple nations. Once again, we have kingdom, we have political uh, language. And so this usually comes down to lip service about Bible and prayer being brought back into school. So when I was saying that they want their pastors to be as ambiguously as ambiguous as humanly possible on the issues in our nation they just want they just want to coat things in christianity they just want a 10 commandments in front of the courthouse or they want a prayer before uh the legislation meets or uh they want prayer in school uh, but they don't want to actually change and break down the foundations of the things that are truly demonic the systems of thought they just want uh, a cross hanging around its neck and so the things i speak about on this podcast are what should be being boldly proclaimed about from the pulpit and in the church and in Bible studies, and they aren't. That's largely because the laymen hate God's law and view it as offensive as well as want to hide God's law from the unbelievers unless they are walking down the Romans' road for evangelism. And even that is ambiguously shoehorned into personal sins. And people must repent of their political ethics, not just their personal behavior. So did you get that? Man is collectively, not just individually, collectively they're conspiring against God. If you don't believe me there, go to Psalm chapter 2. If you stick around, we're going to read it. So, um, so man is not only merely individually sinning against God, but he is working together with fellow fallen men who are under the headship of Adam, the fallen head, and they are um, covenantally um, fallen under Adam. And so they work together to conspire against God. So Jonah didn't ask individuals at Nineveh to repent individually. He called the entire city as a collective to stop sinning against God. So they were collectively sinning together against God. And so when Jonah went to Nineveh, the people of Nineveh first repented in sackcloth and ashes, and then the king was soon to follow. And you'll notice that when you go back and read Jonah, if you ever get a ch if not if you ever get a chance, but if, if you want, go back and read Jonah, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, actually changes the law. I believe it's Nebuchadnezzar. It could be wrong on that, but... The king of Nineveh changes the law and actually codifies the law. So keep in mind that the Bible even shows us that man can't even make a distinction between morality and codified law. Now there are distinctions there, but man as a whole is tempted constantly, because he's made in the image of God, to codify his beliefs into law into word that is therefore supposed to bring about change in creation. So keep that in mind. 
Now, as we talk about eminent domain, very clearly, eminent domain is basically just the doctrine that the state owns all of the land on earth. So the state, whether it be the United States, whether it be Germany, whether it be Korea, whether it be Vietnam, doesn't matter. All the states that are humanistic, at least, and I don't know of one that isn't, believe that they alone have eminent domain over all of the earth. And that it, that eminent domain is a metaphysical, objective, universal truth of all governance. So, though those nations war together because they, under the doctrine of eminent domain, believe that they alone should rule the earth, under those doctrines, they argue and they obviously drop bombs on each other and some even appeal to the fact that they should all band together under a new world order to really truly realize eminent domain, to universally cooperate in their eminent domain, which is even more terrifying than the current situation of our foreign wars and things like that. So eminent domain being a metaphysical, objective, universal claim to truth. If that is true, if these people are objectively saying that eminent domain is universally true, that it is a metaphysical, spiritual truth that cannot be escaped, and it is as true as the law of gravity or any other na natural law you would find. And if that is the way they're, they're, they are putting it to us, and that is what it is. All governments believe in eminent domain. They come to you and they say, hey, we'll give you $5 for, for uh, whatever plot of land they're giving, they're wanting to take from you. You don't have a choice. You can offer and try to haggle with them and see if you can get some money out of them. But ultimately, they can just say, we, we're not going to pay you. We're just going to take, take the property. Um, and there's nothing you can do. Um, uh, they have coercive violence that backs them up with unlimited violence and unlimited resources. You can't win. So you have to give up your property. No matter what, no matter if it's true or not. And so that being the, the case, this is uh, why we have arguments over the border, the wall at, uh, uh, between, you know, that we want to build between Mexico and the United States. Um, this is why uh, um, businesses will use the government to seize certain property from people so that they can build their high-rise or so that they can build their new restaurant or, or things like that. And so if that is the case, it's a gospel issue. And it's a gospel issue. That's what it is. Eminent domain is the central doctrine for every centralized collectivism um, practice you could possibly uh, dream of. So eminent domain is what gives us fiat currency. Eminent domain is what gives us mass incarceration. Eminent domain is what gives us the drug war. Eminent domain is what gives us foreign wars. Eminent domain is um, what uh, allows the government to steal your property. And that's a gospel issue because the Bible says that Christ has authority on all earth that the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof is what the book of Psalms says. 
So the government and the people who support eminent domain have to repent. But they... So not only is the gospel an issue for people that are maybe addicted to pornography or maybe um, uh, are drunks or they're fornicators or they are blasphemers, whatever you can imagine personally that they are committing against God, but they're also banding together um, and claiming that they can break the uh, bonds of the uh, Lord Almighty in Psalm chapter 2. So they say, let's band together, brothers, and let us burst the bonds of the Lord together, collectively. Us as the nations, this is what we say to the Lord, together, bound together. And they not only have to repent of their pornography, they not only have to repent of their individual sins, they have to repent of that sin as well. The sin of collectively conspiring against the Lord. And that includes eminent domain. So here's another area of life we have to repent of. Just like we had to repent of our collectivism underneath public schooling, as I talked about in episode two, or the fact that we blindly support um, cops, even though they are stealing hand over fist from the populace at $5.5 billion in 2016. In my first episode, we have to repent of that collective sin together. We have to repent of imminent domain and protectionism, the fact that we uh, that we allow the government to believe and to assert that it is the owner of all the earth when it is not the owner of all the earth. They can't ever. Tr- they can never ever prove that objectively true. How would you? What would you? How would you prove that that eminent domain, that governing bodies of individuals, have metaphysical, objective, universal truth? backing them when they say eminent domain is true. No, it's not. Well, how do you know, Carrie? Well, because the Lord is true. Let every man be a liar. The Word of God. The Word of God is what gives us all truth and wisdom. The wisdom wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. You without the without the Bible, without the Word of God, you can't even make sense of logic. You can't even make sense of property. You can't even make sense of uh, laws of reason. And so we say, no, no, no. With a metaphysical, objective, universal truth is not that the state owns earth, but that God, Christ, has all authority on earth and that he is the owner of all of earth and he is the creator of earth. That there is nothing that exists unless it came through him. And all things are for him. That includes the earth. That includes all of the things we have. See, my, my property is not uh, under the domain of the state. My property is under the domain of Christ. The state is under the domain of Christ. These, the, the governing authorities have no authority unless Christ first grants it to them. So socialist businesses, they know this. So here, here's where the sinners use eminent domain. So they're not going to repent. They are going to, uh, I believe the book of Romans says, uh, create some more evil inventions. So socialist businesses know that if they can use the government through regulations to punish their competitors, then they can make it impossible to enter the marketplace. 
So basically, politicians' entire campaigns are funded by lobbyists. These include unions and local and national businesses. Liberal unions, especially cops, are behind much of the laws that are created along with the prison industry. This creates job security via monopolistically protected agencies that could only exist because the government uses a gun to stop all others from entering and competing. So I want to read some scripture from the book of Proverbs here. So Proverbs chapter 17 verse 8 says, A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. And the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. So the Bible says that the wicked accept a bribe in secret in order to pervert the ways of justice. Well, Carrie, these lobbyists, they aren't, they aren't secretly giving to the campaigns. Yes, they are. Very few campaigns will openly show you who is giving how much to them. They keep that, all, most of them in secret, complete secrecy. And the Bible says that they do that in order to pervert the ways of justice. This is how they oppress the poor. This is how they create poverty. This is how they deny justice to the poor. This is how they grind the faces of the widows and the orphans. They create, first of all, a greed, a desire of greed within politicians and an immense pride. You would have to have immense pride to be able to convince masses of people that if they vote for you, you can drastically change their individual lives if they would simply put you in office. That your word is like God's word. That the second you pass a law, whatever it is that was decreed will come to be instantly, which is so blasphemous. But that is what it is. This is how these politicians sell themselves. Notice that no politician will ever come to a populace and say, I'm sorry, I have no answers for you. And just stare at everyone, blank-faced. Sorry, everybody, time to go home. I can't fix this. You won't find it. It doesn't exist. In fact, politicians only pick problems that they can sell to the public as the saviors from those issues. And the people, are because they've rejected God and they want a king like the rest of the world, they go along. And as the Bible says, they go along with the wicked. They go along with the crowd, um, I believe. It's, it's either in the book of Proverbs or somewhere in the book of Psalms. But it basically says that don't go with the masses to do wickedness. Um, and so... Social, socialist business owners, they know this. So this isn't capitalism because this is what socialists want you to say, that this is capitalism. This is what capitalism is. It's the, it's the businesses controlling the government so that the government will protect their businesses. Now keep in mind, it's liberals constantly telling you we have to have regulations. And, and never mind you that 
politicians never come up with regulations on their own because they they're good people and they they want to create a safe environment. No, any regulation that's almost ever created, 95% of them are paid for by the businesses who want to be regulated. EpiPen is a prime example. Many years ago, the creators of EpiPen wanted to be regulated by the United States government. Why? Because if they could control what the regulation was, they could make sure their their competition couldn't afford to get in to the business. So, and what you do is you copyright your medicine, or you you uh, you create a a uh, you know a copyright infringement, so that people when they want to use your product, they can't create it themselves. They have to go to you, and no one else can create it. Uh, EpiPen getting a copyright on, or a, uh, a patent on their invention would be like Steve Jobs having a patent on a smartphone and no one else could ever invent a different smartphone or a smartphone uh, in general. And so what ended up happening is when you do that, you can make sure that you can set the price of your product at any at any amount because there's no one to undercut your product. There's no one to sell a similar product at a lower cost for people. And that's why EpiPen skyrocketed because there was no competition. And so it would take businesses 10, 15 years to go through court hearings and to submit themselves to government regulations and uh, uh, inspections and things like that. And it, it takes up to a decade or two decades sometimes to get through all that regulation so you could be the EpiPen number two. So you will have two EpiPen companies now uh, fighting each other. And anyone who go, any businesses who go through that kind of regulation and that kind of um, bureaucracy, it costs them in many cases hundreds of millions of dollars to get these pharmaceutical drugs to market. Well, if it's going to take you $100 million to bring a drug to market, you're not going to charge people 20 cents for a pill. You're going to maximize the, the charge or you're going to maximize the amount of money you need to get back so you can make a profit off of the last 10 or 15 years it took to get to where you are. This is all a part of eminent domain. The state saying that only it is the authorizer of business, that no other businesses can exist unless the state gives them permission to exist, which is once again a blasphemous godlike uh, claim from the state that they are quote-unquote keeping you safe. The state cannot keep you safe any more than uh, the, the, the police officers can. Yes, police officers at times do prevent crime and police officers at times do show up when you, you know, call, someone, call them because someone's broken into your home. But keep in mind, they can't save you. If someone's broken into your house, you have mere seconds before many people in your home could die. The police do not fall from the ceiling or fall from some void in the sky and land like they're Iron Man in your backyard and come in and save you when you call them. It takes them at many times 20 or 30 minutes if they even respond. And once again, it's an it's a godlike idea of the state that if you just pick up a phone, all your problems are fixed. The state is the provider. They have dominion everywhere. They're always with us, never forsaking us. 
which are just blasphemous ideas. So if the blockbuster union, so here's a practical, another practical example. If the blockbuster union existed back in the day, they would have done everything in their power to outlaw streaming services so as not to lose their market share. This greatly harms consumers because it makes us settle for industries that should be morphing and adopting with better and faster technologies or entirely new technologies that are completely different and revolutionize industry. Netflix is to Blockbuster as Uber is to the taxi service. Airbnb is the superior product to Motel 6. Market regulations are proactive attempts to prevent industry from creating new solutions to old problems. And internet is largely unregulated, and it's becoming regulated, but it's largely unregulated, and therefore podcasts have usurped the pragmatic arguments of the 60s and 70s, which was that without government regulation, we would all be trying to broadcast on the same radio frequencies. And Rush Dooney was talking about that economic proactive oppression far before podcasts were created. And that was a free market fix. Podcasts are a free market fix to the pragmatic problem of a previous era. And all because it was unregulated. So now keep in mind, what maybe, maybe we would have podcasts 10 or 20 years ago if there was no market regulation that basically made sure that we only used the radio. Because no one else could, inv- no one else is going to, if the, if the government says that you can't, uh, you can't improve radio or that you can't, you can't, uh, you can't free, you can't have overlapping frequencies on the, on radio stations. Oh yes, Carrie, that's no brainer. Who, how would you, how would you control that? Well, the problem is, is that you don't have control over the air and neither does the state, but What's more important is that someone would have come up with a a, a solution. Someone would have, but we didn't allow them to. Why? Because we just we just regulated the 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 I think it's the FDA. I can't remember, uh, but uh, we just there's some agency that regulates the radio, and we were stuck with basically a backwards way of communicating, in my personal opinion, for far too long. And podcasts, and I've said it for five years now, that the radio is going away. I don't listen to the radio anymore. I listen to Spotify. I pay $6 a month, and I don't have to listen to commercials, and I can listen to whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I don't listen to, and the other thing is I don't have to be constantly uh, bombarded with advertising. And now I can I can listen to talk, to, to I used to listen to talk radio. Now keep in mind, you're listening to, man at the gate. I used to be a neoconservative. I used to listen to Michael Savage. And if anyone knows who Michael Savage is, I listened to Michael Savage for like two years. Um, I mean, and he is a hardcore racist nationalist. And I listened to Michael for a long, long time before I became a Christian. And so when you create, when you create regulation, you hamstring the market. And it, and it keeps prices high because 
when more competition is allowed to come into the market, they literally drive down prices because they have to. They want to sell their product more than the next company. And in order to do that, they have to sell it at a lower price because the consumer wants to buy at the lowest price. The consumer doesn't want to pay $100, $100 extra for his PlayStation 4 when he knows that every other business out there sells it for 400 and so most of the time people are like, hey, is there a sell? Can I, can I, will someone sell this to me for $50 cheaper? I'll go, I'll go to Walmart and buy a PlayStation 4 for $50 cheaper or whatever. Think of any product. doesn't matter. Every product you use, every service you use. The consumer, the consumer is the best caretaker for themselves. The government cannot care for them. And so answers to industries, pragmatic problems will never be solved if regulations force us to always go to a taxi service, which is always to the benefit of the unions and to the detriment of the customers. So remember, regulations are almost always marketed by unions. And we talked about that in my first episode with, uh, I believe, San Francisco and Midtown. They were uh, The restaurant unions were wanting to bring in regulation to stop those local uh, restaurants from opening with or to stop those restaurants from opening within the big tech businesses so that they didn't have to leave. That's regulation. That's that is just unions using their clout, using their power to uh, strongman weaker people. And they always do it under, you know, we love local business, you know, and typically I hate people who tell you you have to buy locally because they just don't understand economics. They simply don't understand economics. You always benefit, no matter who gets the money, you always benefit when you save individually as the consumer because that gives you more money in your pocket to either save or to go and spend somewhere else for other people. To, to make money and get and have jobs. If I, I'm not going to pay an extra $15 for shoes just because they are made locally here in my, in my local Friendswood. I, I'm not going to. Why? First of all, because that's way over market p- price for a shoe and I'm not going to pay someone that kind of money when I can go and get a cheaper shoe uh, for, for probably the same value. Well, Carrie, you don't care about that local business. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And the difference is, is that I have to make sure my family is fed first and foremost. I, I, I'm not going to subsidize someone else's business uh, at a higher price because uh, I have some superstitious belief that buying locally means that there's more jobs locally, and that's not true either. And so what it comes down to is that I have to watch out what's best for me and my family. If not, you won't have a consumer in your community because I'll be poor and I'll have no money because I've gone into debt or I have spent all my money on the super high prices that local businesses charge you. When I can go on Amazon and save and continue to be a productive member in, member in this society and even socialists love that because now I, I, I'm still taxed. I still live in the community. I'm still taxed. You can't tax me if I'm po- if I'm poor and homeless, and you and, and I'm impoverished. So, the consumer is always, for the most part, the best caretaker of their own resources. And so, the strong delusion. I want to talk about the strong delusion that is accompanied with 
this eminent domain doctrine because it's a spiritual doctrine. It's a, once again we talked about how nothing comes out of the nothing comes out of a materialistic worldview, and a materialistic worldview says that basically unless I can't see it or touch it or taste it or weigh it, it doesn't exist. And so we are not um, we are not merely materialists, but that we are Christians. We are we are we're theists that we believe in a God, and so. What it comes or what it comes down to is that people who are people who believe in eminent domain are believing a strong delusion. And I want to go to Daniel chapter four, verses twenty-eight through forty-four. Through excuse me, excuse me. Daniel chapter four, twenty-eight through thirty-three. So we're gonna to go to Daniel chapter four, twenty-eight through thirty-three. All right. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws and then i want to read second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 12 let's see here second thessalonians 2 9 through 12 the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So people who believe a strong delusion that is sent to them by God, first of all believe what is false according to verse 11 in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. They believe what is false, that it is a lawless activity of Satan that claims to have power, signs, and wonders, and that it is a deception for people who are perishing. And so the first thing it is, is it's false. And this is how God actually says that this is in order that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure, pleasure in unrighteousness. How many people do you know have have deep pleasure in the unrighteous behavior of our American government? The Bible says you can know that they're condemned. Now, it doesn't mean that the gospel can't save them. 
but that is a fruit of condemned people is that they take pleasure in unrighteousness and unrighteousness is un- is lawlessness now keep in mind well carrie we're talking about the government they're lawful no no peter called the romans in acts chapter 2 peter said that the romans were lawless men so men in govern in government can be lawless that means that means they are plunderers remember how bastia called them plunderers they are pirates with badges or they are agents of chaos agents of anarchy they bring lawlessness you're experiencing a whole life a life of continuity a life of blessing that is not broken and that is uh, prosperous and then the agents of lawlessness which would be agencies of regulation and agencies of uh, of that manner they come in and even the police they come in and enact lawless unrighteous false laws and they they posit them as truths and they claim they have power and they claim they claim to have this amazing power and that's why it says that it's false signs and wonders because it's it's the government saying that they can do the impossible they can do what you can't and that is to control the market forces of the economy by dictating the choices individuals make in communities and the only way they can do that is through regulation I do not take pleasure in that, and neither does Christ. And if you take pleasure in that, repent, turn to Christ. In faith alone, apart from good works, apart from your allegiance to the state, apart from the state providing for you, repent, turn to Christ. He is your provider. The Lord will give you strength. The Lord in Deuteronomy, the Bible says that he is the one who gives you strength to prosper. It is not the state who gives you strength to prosper. It is the Lord himself who gives you strength to work hard and to keep the things that you have. It's, uh, it's one thing to work hard in this nation. It's a whole other thing to keep the things you have, whether you are spending them or someone is stealing them from you. I need strength for that, just to keep myself sane from the people and the Nebuchadnezzars who have been strongly given a strong delusion. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar looked across all of Babylon and he claimed that it is not great unless it was him and his power and his royal residence that gave him glory. And he said it was his majesty And before the words had even come out of his mouth, he was stricken dumb. He was stricken mad, unable to think, unable to reason, eating food. How many, I mean, eating grass like an ox. You know, I've seen videos on Facebook of people doing that. I see false shepherds in South Africa literally calling their people sheep and then having them eat grass off the ground. 
What a strong delusion. And the American people aren't chewing grass off of the ground. They have been given a, a strong delusion that they cannot escape from unless it is by Christ's power alone. There is no reasoning or, log- or being logical with these people. They hate God. They're in Psalms chapter 2 are conspiring against the Lord together collectively. How insane would you have to be to even try it? To truly believe and to assert that it is an objective truth that the state owns the entirety of the earth and it can take anything and everything from you whenever it pleases, however it pleases. So society, because it believes it has create it has created a socialist utopia through its centralized planning, now declares as did Nebuchadnezzar that they are God and nothing can stop them. This is why Republicans are far more scared of Hillary than Christ and pietistically excuse their faithlessness with the pathetic excuse that they aren't electing a pastor, which sounds exactly like the reason the Israelites gave for rejecting God and wanting a king like the rest of the nations. They viewed Samuel and God as utopians who didn't understand the gravity of how numerous and powerful the enemies were that surrounded Israel. And in their minds, to believe upon God for protection was laughably foolish and unrealistic. And in their darkened minds, they might as well have put the knife of their enemies up to their own throats. That's what it looks like to trust in chariots. That's what it looks like to trust in chariots. It's to tell the Lord and his prophet, you are a utopian nuthouse. And the things you say are going to get us killed. God cannot deliver us from the enemies that surround us. We must now ally with the wicked nations so that we can have a coalition and protect ourselves. And what what does Samuel say to the people? Well, the king's going to take your daughters and your your sons. He's going to take your horses. He's going to take a, a tenth. He's going to... He's going to begin to uh, take your, your, your everything. He, what, what is the king proclaiming? What is the curse that God tells his people through Samuel? The curse is that the king believes he has imminent domain. You are not, not your, the, the, the Israelites were not rejecting a God, rejecting God for another God or for a, just a man. Excuse me. So Israel wasn't just rejecting the Lord for a man. No, they were switching gods. They wanted a God they could see with their eyes. A God that would tell them how to fix the market economy. A God that would preemptively strike at their foes uh, that they thought were, uh, were hindering their little personal kingdoms. They wanted a king who could look grand on the backs of the poor. 
And see, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have looked out on Babylon and claimed that it was his own power that did it unless the people gave him that power, unless the people subjected themselves willingly to him. How dark would your mind have to be to call God and his plan a utopious pie-sky dream? And how many of us hear that, brothers and sisters? All you brothers and sisters who are listening to me, be encouraged. When those who have a strong delusion think that you are crazy. Because crazy people are going to think you're crazy. A crazy man never really truly will admit that he's crazy. There are some that will tell you, hey, I'm, I'm a little crazy in the head. But this spiritual darkness isn't something that people are normally aware of. It's actually what is so hard to escape it because you can't become aware of it. It is literally whoever the sun sets free is truly free indeed. True, he's free from the fear of men. He's free from the, from the doctrines and the philosophies of men. He's free from leaning on his own understanding. He's free from having to vote for the lesser of two evils so that he can save a kingdom that, ha- that hates God and does nothing for the kingdom of Christ and is actively in Psalms 2 banding together with other wicked nations to break the bonds as the Lord laughs in derision at them? Be of good cheer, brother and sister, that the Lord has at least opened our eyes and that there is a remnant, even in America. So this is why God makes a distinction between those who trust in chariots and men and those who trust in the Lord according to Psalm 27. It is a test for God's people akin to that of Gideon and the men at the lake according to Judges 7, 1 through 17. I actually want to read that. All right. Judges 7, 1 through 15. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for for you there and anyone whom I say to you. This one shall go with you, shall go with you, and anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue... As a, as a dog laps, you shall set him, or you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the member, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink and to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. 
So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he set all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men, and the camp of Midian was below in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand, but you are afraid to go. Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down to Purah, or went down with Purah, his servant to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent, and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So, what an incredible story of obedience, first and foremost. How absolutely ridiculous this must have been in the mind of, of Gideon to have to to have to think through this and not say, this is illogical. This doesn't make any sense. How is this going to give me victory? How is this going to be a part of the plan of God? And God did it so that, so God God presents something that seems to be irrational and seems to be something that cannot give victory. God says, I'm going to do this because if I don't, you will take the glory and you will say it was your own power and your own schemes and your own strength that delivered you when you fought the Midianites and the Amalekites. And so then God begins to first and foremost say, if you're fearful and trembling, you are free to leave. No shame, no, look at these guys. They're fighting for our country. We should give them bonus, uh, uh, you know, uh, benefits and uh, give them a parade when they return and all these other things. Sure, it's it's amazing to be brave. But it's but it's not uh, in in the Old Testament. God did not shame people who left battle because it, because they had other pressing things that mattered to them maybe like their family or their business they had pressing issues dying fathers dying mothers sick sisters there were other pressing things and the lord wanted those people to be removed and they were removed so 10,000 people remained and that wasn't enough so then the lord creates a whole new system to to find out who is going to be in Gideon's army. And it's something as, as uh, sort of uh, subjective as just putting water in, in your hands and lapping it out of your hands. And so the Lord then, because, he's, because he knows that Gideon only has 300 men. Like Gideon has 300 guys. Like how's he going to win? You know, in Gideon's mind, right? If you're a sinner and you're like, there's no way. 
and Gideon's doubting. And so the Lord sends him into the camp, or at least on the outskirts, and he hears about the man who has a dream about the bread tumbling into the camp and uh, that it's a sort of a sign of Gideon coming in and God giving uh, them into his hand. And it says that when he heard the dream's interpretation, he worshipped immediately, right then and there. And then after he was done worshipping, he returned to Israel. And then he said, we've already won. He, he literally says, the, uh, for the, he says, arise for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. You want to talk about confidence. You want to talk about Gideon has complete faith. That's it. So the society, the society is sick. And so the society also, like Daniel, has suffered the curse of God and has been struck and mad and unable to reason or logically escape that wrath apart from Christ. It's a spiritual blindness and then a moral one quickly follows. So they're spiritually blind and then they, they quit, quickly they start developing a new immorality. And by that I mean it is a deep moral issue for fallen man to reject God's providence in the free activities of man and instead to attempt to implement a system that to foolish idiots looks to control all of commerce and transactions. So instead of man freely uh, moving about and God providentially controlling that, because even in a free economy, a lot of libertarians will tell you, all we need is just freedom, just economic freedom, and we'll have a paradise. No, you want. You want. If you have economic freedom, it does not make people moral. It does not make them moral. You have to have a moral people who are freely interacting, and then... Society, and the only way they can be moral is if they're faithful to the Lord. And that's not to say that unless they're, you know, there are caveats. And what I mean by is they can, by man's quote-unquote standards, they can they can outwardly uh, um, be feeding people, but inwardly they're doing it because they love humanity. Or well, and we've talked about that that they. They do it for their doctrines of humanism, which is like man needs to be better, so I'm going to be a humanitarian. I'm going to love the trees, and I'm going to do all this other stuff um, because I worship man, not God. Because I want man to be the new God. I want man to prosper. I want him to, uh, you know, uh, uh, dominate the earth. And it's just a humanistic dominion idea that's just fallen. And so it's a spiritual blindness. So you can't, you can't just logic someone out of this. You can't just give them a good argument and they're like, oh man, I can't believe I thought that. As Christians, yes. As Christians, no doubt. Many brothers and sisters, I'm one of them, obviously. Many brothers and sisters, the Lord has been very gracious to us in our mind and he has, he has unveiled our mind from the domination of statism and collectivism and humanism so man would rather send his reality into a hellscape through his failed efforts rather than submit to christ and allow others to be free so fallen man and that's why i'm i'm saying right now as the world is today in our modern day with all nations being humanistic 
it's going to collapse at some point. Just like most of the nations back in the day were, were um, uh, what is it, um, monarchies, had kings. Uh, we need another Magna Carta-esque document for democracies and humanism. Basically stripping humanism and stripping democracy and this idea that man, um, man is the governor of all of humanity. That we the people are the ones who own the earth and that dictate what our terms of agreements are on how we set up a government. That we'll figure it out apart from God. We don't need a Bible. We're just going to figure it out on our own through quote unquote natural law. And so, good news of the kingdom. So, we have good news. Christians, we have good news for people who believe the humanistic lie. And that good news is, is that the gospel is not the futuristic and coming reign of Jesus Christ in the future far off. It is about the current king who has all authority on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven now. And the gospel is about a kingdom that does not find its spiritual origin in the material world on earth. And that's why Jesus says in John 18.36 that his kingdom is not of earth, but it comes from and finds its power apart from the earthly material world. So if you remember my first episode, you will, be, you will remember that I talked a bit about how ideas and philosophies do not come from the material, and we talked about that. I'm sorry if I'm reiterating some of this stuff, but Christ's kingdom has come to earth, but it is not a kingdom of violence and coercion. So keep that's a radically different idea than what humanism, humanism is, what statism is. Statism's kingdom is one of violence and coercion. There's nothing that is cooperative with the humanistic government. You don't cooperate with the humanistic government. You only subject yourself to them so that they don't hurt you. That's coercion. And it is a anarchy codified into law. Did you hear me? It is anarchy, violence and coercion to regulate and to control the market because you claim as a humanistic created government that you own the earth that is a that is a kingdom you are proclaiming that rules through violence and coercion and that's central planning so instead, Christ's kingdom finds its power in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his reconciliation to the whole world through his ambassadors. So let's go back to what I was talking about earlier in the episode. We are called to collectively approach the nation and call them to collectively repent. Not just of their individual pornographies, not just those individual personal sins of blaspheming the Lord, but when they created a new God, which is a part of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me, what we've failed to do is even entertain the idea that the government has become the new God of the modern humanists. That's the biblical approach. The Bible does not all of a sudden say that man is is not, he can't sin in the area of governing, that he can't create radical, un 
holy doctrines that are apart from God that then he will coercively force upon the mass of 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 the you know of the world and that they too will embrace the demonic doctrine of imminent domain and they will bat, like i said bind together and claim that they can break the bonds of the lord no you have to repent and as christians this is they these are the kinds of answers that that people this is why people are leaving the church this isn't ambiguous. I'm not talking about ambiguous, the Lord. You know, you could have come to a Sunday sermon and I would just preach that the Lord owns the earth and that you got to repent and that uh, the the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof. Well, what does that mean specifically? Who who does that who does that challenge? It doesn't just challenge the man who lives on the ranch who thinks he literally controls his little plot of land and that he's his little god. Okay, cool. If there's a guy that exists that's doing that, he needs to repent too. But if there is a guy that's doing that, he's no different than the mass of humanity who claims that their governing through law is is not a sin against God when it doesn't conform to the word of God. And that doesn't mean you get to codify your Christian morality. If you don't think people should be drinking beer, that doesn't mean that you get to create a law that imprisons people because they've had alcohol. That's that's just slavery. That's human trafficking in a it, under the guise of law, which is just once again anarchy. You have to repent. You have to look at every law, every doctrine, and this is why I don't just, I don't pick um, ambiguous or or sort of uh, peripheral articles or topics. I wanted to talk about principal ideas because if you can understand a principle about what the Word of God is saying, you can apply that principle no matter where you go. So if you get eminent domain right when you leave today from the gate, you will be able to go into any conversation or you can begin to learn more about eminent domain and read the scriptures. They say, Carrie, be a Berean. Don't just believe me because I'm telling you. Open up the Word of God and read it. What does the Lord say about people who claim that they are the owners of the earth? What, is the, what does God say about the governments and the people in them who claim that? So therefore, the gospel must be more than an individual call to repent, but a national and collective call to repent because man has decided to deal collectively as, individual, as well as individualistically with God. So I think some, okay, what do we do now, Carrie? Well, first of all, if you're a pastor, you need to be preaching on eminent domain. You need to be preaching against civil asset forfeiture. You need to be first and foremost calling it sin because we can't even move into how we fix an issue until we first settle it in our mind that it is a sin against God and that anyone who believes it is in catastrophic spiritual trouble. That it is not something God shies at. That he does not wink at this doctrine and people who, who hold to this doctrine. That they are also in danger of hellfire and the wrath of God that will come upon them for the land they've stolen, for the people they've stolen, for the resources they've stolen, for the people they've even killed, for the lives they destroyed, for the for the for the people who have become impoverished because of their practices 
the Lord of heaven's wrath burns against it. <coughs> Excuse me. So I believe this needs to be in Bible studies. It needs to be discussed by Christians. Christians have to seriously look at eminent domain the same way they look at blasphemy. The same way they look at adultery. The same way they look at fornication. No differently. When you're preaching on the corner, you're bringing up eminent domain. You're calling the police officer walking by to repent of the practices and the laws and the regulations that he upholds, quote-unquote, for the safety of his people. That he believes a false lie, that the agent, that the FBI, that the CIA, that the president, that the Senate, that the city council, that the mayor, that everyone involved with this must repent. And this is, this is radical because this is what literally will take your church and maybe the size of it will go to about one-eighth. Imagine telling teachers in the pews who go to the public school system that eminent domain is a sin before the eyes of God and they had better treat it as that. And they had better start making plans of the exodus to get out. And that goes for anyone that's working for the state, in my opinion. It's a beast. We're, the, the state right now is the beast. And people get on it because they think they can ride it and not get hurt. They think they can ride this thing and that it's not like a, like a, like a wood chipper. You're going to fall in and it will grind you, both, mater- both, both physically and spiritually. It will grind you into the ground. Because one day you'll stand up and you'll be burning Nikes because people aren't bowing to the sky cloth. You'll be ignoring the foreign wars and the bombs that we drop on children and buses and instead continuing to cheer for the wars that go on and on and on without even the president or or without even the Congress's approval. And we call this a win. I think there are tracks personally that need to be made and I already know a couple of individuals that are going to start doing this. We need to make tracks that attack collectivism. And call people to repent of collectivism. Call them to repent of the humanistic doctrines. And that's about 90% of the populace, including the Christians. And I'm not saying people who are Christians don't have blind spots. And that the Lord's not rescuing them out of this veil. He is, but we've got to do something. That's what Paul says. How can they know if no one tells them? I know I'm a I know I know people think I'm I'm just I'm just mean and I'm 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 being nasty here and I'm not. I'm trying to faithfully wound brothers and sisters in a society where no one wants to sharpen iron. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what the Bible says. I am your friend. I am not your faithless enemy. I am your faithful friend. Faithful in the Lord. A brother in arms. And most people remain status when they com- when they when they're even converted, and that's why their nationalistic idolatry was never challenged. And now, even the church demands conformity to the state in some cases, even puts America on par with the kingdom of God. And this is no great mystery because most of the national songs in America deify the state by appealing to God as the sole blesser of our nation, and we say, "God bless America." 
And, uh, you know, going to church is as American as apple pie, right? Creasters. We got the Easters and the, and the Christmas people. And it breaks my heart that the, that the nation is in this state. And we don't have a pastor hardly in the world who is going to bring up anything that challenges the state. You know, we have this statement on, the social, uh, uh, on social justice. Where's the statement on eminent domain? Where's the statement on civil asset forfeiture? Where's the statement on collectivism? Where's the statement on humanism? Where's the statement on uh, mass incarceration? Those are doctrinal problems that are continually ignored by the church because they want to do another comb through on, on the Trinity. They want to do another comb through on things that have been that have been ironed out constantly and we have men who are who are faithless to attack to to challenge the state we have men who are faithless to call out the blasphemies of the state that are leading people to hell in droves but these men don't believe that if you have a collectivist governing a collectivist idea about how you should govern the state that that's not a spiritual problem most of them most pastors are completely are completely republican they are full on board they love eminent domain they love civil asset forfeiture they love mass incarceration they love the drug war they love the foreign wars they love the sky cloth worship that's what it's like to be an american It's a strong delusion, not a weak one. A strong delusion. And it is very difficult for us, brothers and sisters, to just remain sane in this culture. I love you, brothers and sisters. We're just over an hour. I hope I've blessed you. Continue to... Strive, continue to press into the kingdom, continue to seek his kingdom. I want to advise that anyone who's listening to this, go and get those Tuttle Twin books I talked about last week for your children, if you have children. If you want to get them one about eminent domain, I believe it is the Road to Serfdom Tuttle Twins book that will literally teach your children eminent domain and what it is and why it's evil. Now, we obviously would ask, add some spiritual things to that, but it's coming from a libertarian standpoint. But it completely outlines what eminent domain is and, in most cases, why it's evil. Um, so not only educate yourself on it, educate your children about it. I love you, brothers and sisters. Let us walk away from the gate rejuvenated and edified and sanctified. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he prosper. May his face shine upon you. God bless. Thank you for listening to Man at the Gate. Go forward, Christian, and apply your ethics to all areas of life. Begin to discern the world around you. God bless. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. 
Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.